If you grab a Bible and turn to Philippians chapter 1, I'm going to read verses 9 through 11 of the Philippians chapter 1. This is the word of our Lord. Philippians 1, starting verse 9. And this I pray, that your love may abound still more and more in knowledge and all discernment, that you may approve the things that are excellent, that you may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ, being filled with the fruits of righteousness which are by Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. We're going to come back to this in a little bit um, as, as we look at this idea of truth and discernment. We're going through a series on biblical discernment or spiritual discernment and learning how to be disciplined about it, learning how to execute it, to practice it, to build it up in our lives. We saw from Hebrews chapter 5, verse 14, that discernment is something that we acquire, is we gain that skill and we grow in it. We even saw the definition that, of discernment as this. The discernment is the acquired skill of understanding and applying God's word with the purpose of separating truth from error and right from wrong and living according to what is right. So discernment includes thinking, thinking biblically, be, uh, being able to judge between what's right and what's wrong, and then living what we know it's right. Uh, God is not interested in people who know, just know what's right. They want to, he's interested in people who do what is right. James says that... Uh, if you have a faith that's not manifested in, in actually obe- obedience, your faith is, a, is dead. That uh, we are to be doers of the word, not just hearers of the word. Yeah. The, um, and, and to, uh, notice in this definition that in order to separate truth and error, right and wrong, what is it that we need to know? In order to, to execute that, that, that second part of the sermon, what do we need to know? What is good. What is good, and, or even more, based on that, what is true. We need to know truth. Um, and the, the most dangerous kind of error is the kind of error that's closest to the truth. Have you ever realized that? If something is way out there, it's way out there. Like, uh, it's, it's not concerning. It's not that dangerous. But the things that are very close to the truth, those are the things that are concerning that we have to be very, very careful. The kind of error that is a counterfeit of the truth. Now, something is only a good counterfeit if it looks like the thing. Does it make sense? If you have a piece of paper that somebody got crayon and drew a $100 bill, you can... It's not, not an issue, right? But, uh, but if, if it looks like it and you try to use it and it's not, it's very disappointing. I remember when I was in seminary, I was dirt poor, and my mom, in the mail came an envelope and my mom had sent me a $100 bill. I was so happy. Uh, it was the time when the mail worked and you could send stuff in it and it would get to you. And uh, I went to the bank. I was going to deposit it in my account. And the teller said, that's a fake bill. Can't use for anything. You can't have it back. <laughs> they, they, not even the bank wanted it to, uh, uh, to keep uh, the bill. 
but it was well done. Only those that actually knew well the real thing could figure out that that wasn't uh, the case. So for something to be counterfeit, it must attempt to represent something that is genuine. You're going to think this is a, the joke, but in, I think it was 2006 or so, somewhere between 2006 and 2009, uh, the FBI actually uh, went to a ministry that produces tracts in the form of a million-dollar bill. Have you ever seen those? Yeah. Uh, and tried to accuse them of counterfeiting money. They actually went, and uh, how do you call when the FBI comes to your place? They, yes, they raided the ministry. They, could, they took 7,000 bills of a million dollars each, you know, of the track. And uh, the point that the minister is making, you can't accuse us of counterfeiting because there's no such thing as a million dollar bill. In order to be a counterfeit, you have to have the real thing that you're trying to make like it, but not quite like it. And eventually the ministry won because, you know, it made sense. And uh, so... For something to be counterfeit, it must attempt to represent something that is genuine. Remember when Satan was tempting Eve? Did he he go all out and deny the word of God? No, he tried to use the word of God and said, and just change a little bit. Even when he was tempting Jesus, he quotes from, is that Psalm 91? Um to try to get Jesus out of context, a deviation from the truth, but looked like the truth, and Jesus was aware of that and was able to fight. So in order to know, in order to be able to be discerning, in order to separate truth from error, we need to know the truth. Which means that the practice of spiritual discernment is founded, is grounded on the belief in the existence of, of both truth and error. So in order to to practice discernment, you must be convinced that truth exists and that what is not truth is error. It's a binary situation. Is it true or false? Is it truth or error there? Now, Darius, you mentioned, oh, you need to know what what error is, what, what is wrong, and that's true. Well, the problem with, with coming from that side is that there are so many variations of errors. And it's in, so that, that's impossible to know them all. So it's better to start with the truth. Because now you have a standard that you can just put against other things and compare. And you know, oh, no, that's not, nope, that's not true. Nope, that's not true. Because you, you have the standard. You know the standard of the truth. So in order to practice discernment, we need to grow in our knowledge of the truth. So the first thing I want us to think, understand tonight is that we need to know the truth. Before we keep on going, any questions or comments? What does this statement um, assumes? That there is truth, yes, and... It can be known. There is truth, and truth can be known. And you say, duh, of course. But in history, there's been all kinds of debates in philosophical, the philosophical world whether you can know truth, or that you can know that you know, and, and so on. Volumes have been written about these things. 
But the Bible says that truth exists and you can know it. Can you think of a passage that talks about that? Chris? John 14, which says? So that one says there's truth, right? Can you think of a passage that says the truth can be known? I can't hear you. I can't hear. Yes, John eight thirty two. That, that at least the, the, the actually the whole half, second half of John eight, as Jesus interact, interacts with the Pharisees, uh, and he says that in John eight thirty two, he says, thirty starting with thirty one. Then Jesus said to those Jews who believed him, "If you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth." And the truth shall make you free. You shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. When you do what? When is it that you're going to know the truth, and then the truth will make you free? Yeah, it's simply just by reading the verse, it says, when you abide in my word. So notice the relationship between knowing the truth and abiding in the word of Christ. So truth is primarily known through the word of God. That's the, our primary way of knowing truth. And I'm talking about moral truth. No, I'm not talking about calculus. Uh, I'm not talking about, you know, septic systems or, or cutting hair or, you know, whatever it is that Tim Vanderhoff does for the bank. That's not what I'm talking about here. I'm talking about moral truth. The, 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 the way we find, the place we find moral truth is the Bible. And I want you to notice... Every little word in the original language, this is not the original language, by the way, the Bible is not written in English. You know, you know if the King James was good enough for Paul, it's good for me, that's not an accurate statement. But this does a good translation where it says, you shall know the truth. And that article is important. It's the truth that we will know. Not a truth among many, but an objective truth. The truth. So it's an objective truth in opposition to the dominant mindset of our day. Something is not evil simply because it's not in accord with what we feel or desire. And neither is something else good because we like it or enjoy it. Something is objectively true or false. Something is objectively good or evil because the Bible says so. Regardless of, we, if, regardless of our, our existence. Are you with me with that? If something is true, it's true because God said so. Not because you experienced it. Not because you felt it. Not because you liked it. But because God said so. And this is important. Because that's not what is out there. That's not the culture that we live in. Uh, you know, you watch movies, and you know the, the biggest advice that's given is follow your heart, follow your truth. There's no such thing as your truth, as, as, unless your truth is the Bible, truth. Uh, so it's important to keep that in mind. So we must determine if something is good or evil, right or wrong, based on the objective, unmoving standard of the Bible, rather than on our subjective, constantly shifting feelings, and preferences. Remember, what you liked 10, 15, 20, 30 years ago may be very different than what you like now. And if your, your approval that, that should count as being true or not 
we'll be in trouble, right? Because that will be changing all the time. So a, discer- a discerning Christian will be one who returns constantly to the Word of God, which is the source of all truth. Any questions or comments? All right, so we, we do not know everything there is to know. Can we agree with that, that we do not know? And the older you get, the more I think you, you understand the statement that we do not know everything that there is to know. But what God teaches us through creation and through the Bible is indeed both true and trustworthy. Though we don't know everything there is to know, what God has revealed to us is knowable and can be trusted, is trustworthy and true. Uh, the Bible says that. For example, in, in Psalm 119, 43 says, Take not the word of truth utterly out of my mouth, for I have hoped in your ordinance. In verse 160, the entirety of your word is truth. That's what theologically is called the, the plenary inspiration of the scripture. It is everything in the Bible. Everything in the scriptures is true, is inspired by God. Paul makes that claim as well. He says in Colossians, because of the hope which is laid up for you in heaven, of which you heard before in the word of the truth of the gospel. You can bank on it because it's in the word of God. It's the word of truth of the gospel. That's what Paul is saying there. Uh, He says to Timothy, be diligent to present yourself approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. The idea of dividing here is explaining, putting in the right categories and explaining to people the word of truth, which is the Bible. So, truth is knowable, and we, though we cannot know everything, whatever God has revealed to us is knowable and is worthy of knowing, is trustworthy and true, and we should pursue it. Any questions or comments? <coughs> All right. What is truth? What is the foundation of truth? There was a very famous person in history that asked the question, what is truth? But then he didn't wait long enough to hear the answer. answer. And contrary to what the movie says, you can handle the truth. So what is truth? What is the concept of truth? Truth is a person, so we can say that Christ is truth, right? I am the way, the truth, and the life. Well, what else can we say truth is? I know it's kind of too philosophical for a Wednesday night after a long day of work, but truth is what God thinks. It's, it's what comes from the mind of God. Truth is what God does. Truth is what God has revealed of himself in the Bible. Truth is found in its fullest form in God. So Truth is not God, but God is the source of all truth. And we need to keep that in that order. Because otherwise we might, we're going to create a, an idol of truth. So to be people of discernment, we must acknowledge the existence of both truth and error. That's the first point we're making tonight. To be people of discernment, you must acknowledge the existence of both truth and error. And we kind of addressed this already but we have to be sure that we have the right source of truth. As Renee said, the fullest expression of truth is in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. John says, the word became flesh and dwelt among us, 
And we beheld His glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. So to look at Christ is to see truth. Then later on, Jesus himself says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Therefore, if this is true, then discernment is impossible apart from Jesus. Biblical discernment is impossible apart from Jesus. Which means that discernment is really in the sphere of Christians. Christians are the, supposed to be the best discerning people that there, that there is. Questions on that? Jerry? Is it possible that truth can ever change? No. No. If something is true, it's true. Now, you have several levels, right? You have the principal level. And some, sometimes you may have some situational things that are down here, right? That might change according to where you are in time and in culture. But the principles of the word are always true and they don't, they don't change. So, truth, we should, be, we should be modest. That never changes. What modesty looks like may change in time and place. But the truth that we must be modest never changes. Are you with me on that one? Okay. Any, any other questions? All right, so, to, to think rightly, to, to, to be discerning, we need to think rightly about God. If God is the source, if God is truth, God is the source of all truth, then we need to think rightly about God. We must think rightly about God because what we believe necessarily impacts what we do. We must dedicate ourselves to be the, the pursuit of knowing and understanding God by separating what is true about God from what is false about God. So, if that's the case, then a great part of our lives must be about the pursuit of knowing God. A great part of our lives must be about the pursuit of knowing God. If we get the most basic thing about discernment, discernment, God, which, uh, discernment wrong, which is knowing God, then we will not be able to separate right from wrong, truth from error. Because God is the source of truth. And there are two elements of knowing God when we talk about knowing God. One is knowing Him subjectively by faith, but the other one is knowing things about Him. We have to have 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 a right biblical definition of God in order to be discerning people. Okay. Let me ask you this. How do you know that something is true? How do you know that something is morally true? Right, I'm not talking about calculus. No, I'm not, I'm not talking about demonstrating a formula. I'm not talking about physics. But how do you know that something is morally true, Chris? So, right, so does the Bible teach it? That's primary. We're going to do just two questions. Does the Bible teach it? And does it honor Christ? Those are the two things go always together. Does the Bible teach it? You might come up with some idea that the Bible teaches it, that you think the Bible teaches it, but at the end, it doesn't honor Christ, which means that the Bible doesn't teach it. So those two things have to be true, they have to be together. The Bible teaches it, and it honors Christ. You see that in the passage that we read together earlier today, where Paul is praying for the Philippians, and he prays that your love may abound still more and more in knowledge 
and all discernment, that you may approve the things that are excellent. Approve, discern, know, separate. That you may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ, being filled with the fruits of righteousness which are in Jesus Christ. For what purpose? To the glory and praise of God. So we can see that you may approve the things that are excellent, that you may know the things that are excellent, that you may divide, but you may understand the Bible, and to glorify and praise God in that way. That's the idea. That's how we know something is true. Does the Bible teach it? Does it bring honor to God? Are we okay? All right. Now, error can be very subtle. There's a subtlety of error. There's a, there's a mindset in many Christians that think repeated exposure to just a little bit of evil will not harm them. A lot of um, a lot of Christians follow the Princess Bride philosophy. Remember when he sits across? What's his name? Inconceivable guy. What's his name? All right, so he's sitting across Vincini with the two cups, right? And he goes, oh, I can't take away this one. But then you'd think I'll take this one. And then the guy drinks and dies because both had poison. And Scholar Perpernickel, that's not his name, whatever his name was. Uh, what's his name? Johnny. Wesley. Wesley. Wesley had supposedly built an immunity to the venom by drinking. You guys need to read your Bible instead of watch movies, people. <laughs> the, the poison by having little by little, right? Till he, and I think some people, some Christians view evil that way, that uh, uh, if we expose ourselves to sin just a little bit of time, we'll somehow create uh, resistance to it. If we just take the half of the poison pill, we're going to create an immunity to it. And these Christians seem to think that they have a sin threshold beyond which they dare not go. The problem is, the closer we get to sin, the closer we move that line far away. We come over here, because this is the line for sin, and guess what we do? Oh, no, no, the line is not here. It's over here. So we move over there. And when we do that, when these people do that, they may as well ask just how much poison pill they need to swallow before it kills them. Repeated exposure to error can lead us to unwittingly swallow a lethal dose. So error may be subtle, but it's always deadly, and that's why it's so important to be discerning according to the scriptures. Now, the example of a, of a ship, that if, if the ship is going to go on a 6,000-mile journey, and the ship starts its journey just a half degree off. You know, it's going to be a long time before the, the, the people notice that it, the ship is off course. By the time 6,000 miles go, it will be miles and miles and miles and miles away from where it was supposed to go. So we have to be careful that we're discerning in that way as well. So biblical discernment is black and white. What about the gray areas? Are there gray areas? Well, let's do an exercise now. Huh, I have to do work? Yeah, it's just a little bit. These are the Hansel twins. 
Abby and Brittany. It's their names. They're, they're alive. They're thriving. Uh, they're born with dicephalic, con uh, uh, as dicephalic conjoined twins, which means that they have two heads but just one body. Each of the girls controls a half of the body. So the girl on this side controls the right arm. The girl on that side controls the left arm. The same with the legs. So when they're driving, uh, they have to work together because one of the girls control this arm, the other one this, this arm. And when they did that driving test, they actually have to do it twice you know, for each one to get a, a driver's license there as well. Um, internally, they have two hearts, two sets of lungs, two stomachs, and two large intestines. But they share a circulatory system, a small intestine and bowels, and their reprodu reproductive organs. In some way, there are two people. In other ways, someone could say that they are just one person. They both want to marry. They want to have kids, which they are biologically able to do. And I hope you can see that then questions start arising. How can they do this when they are both individuals and conjoined at the same time? Should the two of them marry a single man? Should they marry individually? If they give birth to a baby, whose baby will it be? These are real-world questions, aren't they? They're not you know, fictitious. These, these girls exist. These girls exist. They are real people. How do we practice discernment in this case? Well, when we practice discernment, we are applying the truths of the Bible to our lives and are trusting the Word of God to give clarity so that we might see things as God sees them. And yet, sometimes, it seems that clarity is impossible. How can we have absolute clarity about the situations like one posed by Abby and Brittany Hansel? How does discernment function in such what we could call gray areas. I'm not going to give you the answer about Brittany and Abby. You can work uh, it out for yourself. But I do want to suggest six guiding principles that may help us as we wrestle with gray areas such as this one. The first one is this, is the principle of rarity. How many situations like this are you aware of? Yes, there are more, but out of seven plus billion people, this is a rarity, right? We must affirm that truly gray situations are rare, and not always be calling everything gray. So we must affirm that truly gray situations are rare. Most often, gray situations are gray only because we have not done enough work to clarify them, or because of our own sinful desires have interfered and have interposed themselves between black and white. A lot of times gray is the area that we like to live because we don't want to do what God calls us to do. So let's affirm that truly gray situations are rare. Okay? Principle number two, the fall. Grayness is, grayness is always the result of the fall. Truly gray situations is always the result of the fall. Where things perfect, there would be no gray areas. In heaven, in eternal life, everything is going to be black and white. 
and I don't mean the, the appearance. Uh, it will be very clear to know one way or the other. Okay? The third, third principle is clarity. When dealing with gray areas, it is important to begin with what the Bible makes clear. When looking at the Hansel girls, we would not want to allow their unique situation to change our minds about God, what God plainly says about marriage being the union of one man and one woman. So we start with what the Bible clearly says, marriage between one man and one woman. We don't start with the rare gray area to make our final decision. Because that's the truth that's, as Jerry, that's the truth that's applicable everywhere. Marriage is between one man and one woman in every time, in every place. Now we have to work from that to where the Hansel twins are. So the Bible establishes a standard, not the exceptions. And we want to argue the other way around most often. But what if that one case... Think of abortion. You know, people say, I'm, I'm, I'm for abortion because, you know, what if somebody gets pregnant because of a rape or because of incest? Well, abortions because of race and, uh, rape and incest in the United States are less than 1% of total abortions. So let's not make a rule based on this rare, rare, rare exception. The, the fourth principle is the principle of humility. When we come to the end of our abilities and we realize that we simply are unable to see with clarity the clarity that God has, we can take the opportunity to see again that we are mere creatures. We lack the perspective and wisdom of the Creator, and this should help us express our our humility before God. Fifthly, dependence. Principle of dependence. Great situations also give us the opportunity to express our dependence on God. There are many times when even our best attempts at extrapolating the Bible's wisdom leave us scratching our heads. And this gives us the opportunity to express our dependence on the Spirit and to acknowledge that any ability in spiritual discernment is a gift from above. And then lastly, the conscience. While conscience must be subservient to the Scriptures, and informed by the scriptures, it nevertheless plays an important role in the life of the Christian and should be heeded, especially when it, the issues are less than perfectly clear for us. God has given us a conscience to know what's right and wrong, and we need to listen to it as well. As we know God, and as we know truth, then we're able to practice biblical discernment in separating truth from error, right from wrong, and then living according to what is right. Any questions or comments before we close tonight? All right. Uh, next Wednesday, Nick will be Nick Anderson will be uh, leading the study, and it's going to be on the will and discernment. Uh, and the idea of decision making and so on and, and discernment. All right. I think the the Anderson's on vacation tonight somewhere. You know where they are? Lake Chelan. And they should be back for <laughs> Good to know. They're not in the lake. 